is a Woodside Church podcast. So it's good to be here. I wasn't here the last two weeks, Catherine and I, and Catherine's just had her second uh, cataract operation on Friday, so uh, it's just recovering from that, but doing well. Uh, no number were praying for her, so thank you so much. Um, and as, we, uh, as I'm preaching today, it's the last, well, almost the last, I'll tell you why, uh, in our 1 Peter series. We're in chapter 5, and the reason it's almost last is because Martin uh, and Dawn, David and Silla, actually, they're all going to be here next week as we pray for Hudson. Uh, he's just going to be sharing uh, from the first five verses next week, just for about 10 minutes, uh, leading into our praying, which we'll be doing in this space, this particular part of our service, um, uh, for Hudson and for Hudson and Vidya, uh, and for all they have ahead of us, uh, ahead of them, uh, as they pick up the leadership of the teams uh, that lead our congregation here. So I'm going straight in, therefore, to verse 5 uh, of uh, 1 Peter 5 and calling it Standing Firm. Because today we're going to see how Peter is teaching the churches he's writing to, and by the Spirit, us as well, uh, to stand firm against pride, to stand firm against the devil, and to stand firm in the grace of God. Now, each one of those would merit a week on their own. So uh, forgive the, the, the not going into all the detail. In fact, there could be a series, each one on their own. Um, but we're going to go. So let's just pray and ask God. Father, we just, uh, before you right now, uh, thank you for the way we, we already heard about some of these things, even in the contributions that were made in our worship. And we've been declaring who you are, your salvation and your lordship, and we're so grateful for all that you have done. And Lord, right now, as we look into your word, we pray that you'd speak to each of our hearts. We're ready to receive afresh uh, from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So, stand firm, first of all, against pride. In the first few verses uh, that I'm reading, verses, second part of verse 5 and verse 6, uh, go like this. And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. And in these verses, when it talks about standing firm against pride, there are two ways, firstly in relation to others and then being humble in relation to God. So we'll look at, first of all, being humble in relation to others. It says, all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. In some versions it says, clothe yourselves with humility. Literally, and you might wonder what this orange thing is here. Literally, um, if you go to the original Greek, it, it, it just says this, tie on humility as a servant would be putting on an apron ready to serve. Now, excuse the uh, advertising. Uh, uh, Catherine and I don't tend to use aprons too much at home, and we were rummaging around trying to find one. Uh, other brands are available. <laughs> but that's literally what it means. 
tie on humility as a servant would tie on an apron and ready, ready to serve. Just like Jesus did when he washed his disciples' feet and he tied around his waist a towel and then he washed each of his disciples' feet one by one. And when Jesus did that, he said, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. In fact, Peter was there at the time and he had the greatest trouble of all the 12 as Jesus washed his feet. And you'll remember the story. Peter was also there when Jesus said this. He said in Matthew 20, 28, he said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now imagine each of us literally taking Jesus at his word and saying the same as Jesus said. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And imagine just for a moment us saying, I'm in this church not to be served, but to serve, to serve others. And I have to say that I see in this congregation some giving their Saturday evenings, like those that were on the platform just now, and Sunday morning to serving uh, our children and youth or our worship and other areas in the church. I see some in this congregation giving their Friday evenings to serving our youth. Giving, some giving their Thursday afternoons to serving at food bank. Some amongst us here giving their Wednesday mornings to serving seniors in our community. Some giving an hour a week to talk to a lonely person in the borough through our befriending service. Giving their ability to sing and play a musical instrument to lead us in worship. Volunteers who put in hours to prepare to preach. Because most of our preachers are the volunteers just amongst us uh, as they do so. Um, community group leaders who open their homes every week, those who give time in prayer for others, those who bake and make meals for others in particular need, or simply just to bless people, those who pick up the phone to encourage comfort or simply chat and make friendships. It's all serving. Those who extend hospitality, who give lifts in their cars, who share their expertise in order to help others. Those who use their technical skill to serve the church. Those who get here early to welcome us or to prepare to serve tea and coffee. Those who serve practically behind the scenes and rarely get noticed. Those who spend time pastorally with others, helping them through a particular challenge or difficulty. The many, many unseen acts of kindness, patience and grace are included in the many contributions that happen in this congregation throughout the week. Now sometimes we can say, we had some great contributions from the mic this morning. We said, we had some great contributions this week. Wasn't it encouraging? Absolutely. And we love that as we have the mic is open for people to share the things that God puts on their hearts. Scriptures, exhortations and prophetic words and so forth. Bible readings. But there's so much more that goes on in terms of contributions through the serving of God's people. 
And at the same time, serving is not a pressure because sometimes, for some of us, we are in a recovery mode through exhaustion or discouragement or through difficulties that we're facing, through illness. And we have to be on the receiving end of the serving that goes on. And that's a good thing too. Because we're here for one another, seeking to live like Jesus, who said, I'm in this world not to uh, be served, but to serve. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? But it's also a joy. But it's not a challenge without a myriad of examples amongst us to encourage us with that heart and that attitude. And in many ways, what it's saying is clothe yourselves, tie on humility. In other words, it's saying you are worthy of me serving you. And that's a humble attitude that Peter is saying. Let that be what's in your heart and your mind as you view, approach, and love one another. Okay? So that's the first thing. I'm going to keep this on just for a moment, and you'll see why in a minute. Because then it goes on, and it brings us then to God. So it talks about humility towards one another, and then it talks about God opposing the proud, but gives grace to the humble. For the proud, there's no blessing from God. But for the humble, there is much blessing. Much grace that we don't deserve, but he gives it anyway. So in relation to God, verses 6 and 7 say this. Humble yourselves, therefore, and I'm reading from the ESV this time, the rest is the NLT. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, you think, well, what is, and, and it's all one sentence in some versions, and that's why I've used this one, it comes out as two, almost like they're two separate things. But actually, it's talking about um, uh, humbling ourselves before God, casting our anxieties on him. Two things going hand in hand because he cares for you. And literally, this casting all your anxiety on him is like flinging it away, your anxiety, your worry. It's like you would do if you'd just been to the gym and you're feeling tired and now you're just flinging your gym bag in the back of the car as you then get into the driving seat and go home again. Or it's like you fling your dirty apron into the dirty washing basket. That's the action in the original language that it's speaking about when it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, before the mighty hand of God at the proper time he'll exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And what this tells us is that because God cares for you, and he has the ability, the power to care for you. That's under his mighty hand. Same word used of how he delivered the children of Israel. By his mighty hand. He's powerful. He's able to do these things. He's able to care for you. Therefore, 
We can be humble before God by casting our worries on him. Because if we continue to worry about those cares, we're caving into pride. That's the implication it's having. So how can anxiety and worry be criticized as pride? You think, well, hang on, isn't that being humble? Well, when believers are convinced that they must solve all the problems in their own lives, in their own strength, they've taken their eyes off the God, off the God who cares for them. And the only God with a small g that they're trusting in is themselves. How often do we find ourselves in that situation? Trying to be our own saviour, rather than recognising that he is our saviour. And when we throw our anxiety upon God, we express our trust in his mighty hand, his powerful ability to care for us. As I've studied this and gone back to the root a bit about it, I found this deeply challenging. Because I hadn't related the two quite the same way as Peter does in this particular passage before. And so we could say together, I believe in God's powerful ability to care for me. That's under God's mighty hand. And in due time, he'll exalt you. And that's an amazing thing. I mean, so much worry and anxiety, and not all of it, but so much is not believing this. But when we put our trust in him, we find he gives us his peace. So we can think about things like this, you know, what will happen if I fail and mess up? Actually, should we not use this as rhetorical? I believe in God's powerful ability. Should we just say that together a minute? Do we believe this? I mean, he is powerful and able to care for us. That's the amazing thing. That's what it's saying here. Under God's mighty hand. So what are, after three, one, two, three. I believe in God's powerful ability to care for me. Um, What happens if I fail or mess up? I believe in God's powerful ability to care for me. What will happen if I run out of money? I believe in God's power and ability to care for me. What will happen if I get ill? I believe in God's. Yeah, we can say it together. I believe in God's powerful ability to care for me. What will happen if I go through difficult times? I believe in God's power and ability to care for me. What will happen if my being a Christian brings opposition, conflict and misunderstanding? I believe in God's power and ability to care for me. What will happen if I die? I believe in God's power and ability to care for me. That is what the scripture is bringing us to. That we humbly believe in God's power, his mighty hand, his ability to look after us as he promises and says in his word he will. Isn't that amazing? And so we're no longer striving and struggling to be in control with all the pressure that brings. But we're humbly submitting to him. And trusting in his power and ability to care for us, to empower us, to lead us, to comfort us, to strengthen us. And to take us on our journey of following Christ. It's amazing, isn't it? I found that really very helpful as I've gone through this. So, 
Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. So stand firm against pride. We've just seen two ways, with one another and before God, to do that. Secondly, stand firm against the devil. So in verses 8 to 11, it says this, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remembering that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. They were going through a time of persecution when Peter's writing this to them. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So, after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. Or power to him forever. Amen. So, the scripture here is saying, and it echoes that Uh, which James also says is resist the devil stand firm against the devil who seeks people to destroy we have an enemy and uh, uh, Jesus in John 10 10 talks of him as a thief who comes to steal kill and destroy he tries to devour your confidence your confidence in God. He tries to devour your joy. He tries to devour your faith. He tries to destroy our unity. He will try and destroy your marriage, your peace. He will try and rob you of the blessings that are yours in Christ. He will try and rob you of your hope. You ever been in those kind of situations and you see his fingerprint all over the activity that is trying to undermine you as a believer in Jesus. And so we are to stand firm against him. And his tactic, we are told, again by Jesus, is one of telling lies. And so in John 8, we read that he was a murderer from the beginning. He, was always, he has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's a strong thing to say, but it's true. He's evil. He's wicked. And when you see his fingerprints at work in the world, you see that the devil is a devil who hates humans and seeks to keep them from Christ, but also to do everything he can to damage the, anything that is reflecting the image of God. And the devil lies by trying to change the narrative. He did it in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. Did God really say? He did it with Jesus in the temptations in the wilderness. If you are such and such, the Son of God, then and so on. He tries to change the narrative. And he does it with us through his lies. You know, things like, you've really messed up this time. There's no hope for you anymore. That's a lie. Or, nobody really cares about you. You might as well give up. It's a lie. Things are so bad for you right now, just look at yourself and don't bother about you or anybody else anymore. It's a lie. 
And as we look at standing firm against the enemy and his lies, we have two weapons. We read about them in Ephesians 6, but one of them is mentioned right there in verse 9. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. And in Ephesians 6, it calls this the shield of faith. Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery darts of the evil one or the arrows of the devil depending on which versions uh, you're reading. And in Ephesians 16, 16, we read about this shield of faith. You see, the devil's lies, they are fiery. If they, if they get in, we know they burn. <laughs> and we know that they, uh, the fire spreads and it has its effect. But we have a shield of faith to stand firm. And Jesus exemplified this during his temptations when he said, it is is written and said back to the enemy what God had said in his word. And in the same way, in Ephesians six seventeen, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And that's exactly what Jesus said when he said, it is written. It's faith in what God says in his word and using his word as a weapon. As we speak. Therefore, verses 8 and 9, we've got all these verbs. Stay alert. Watch out. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. We're in a battle. We're not to be passive, but we're to be active in all that God says. And then in verses 9 and 10, uh, Peter says, remember. And the first thing he says about remembering is you're not the only one. Every Christian goes through the same experience. And every people uh, who belong to him go through the same. It helps you keep things in perspective. And I have to say, whatever difficulties I might face right now, when I look at what our brothers and sisters in places like Ukraine uh, and in Russia too are going through um, at the moment, you think, Lord, in comparison, my troubles are very small. And he's saying, remember, you're not the only one in this world, on this planet, in God's big worldwide church, who is going through the same sort of thing. But then it comes with a promise. In his kindness, you're called to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ. After suffering a little while, God will, and this is God's promise, restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. You see, we can't avoid the battle. But God promises that he'll see us through. And he promises that as we stand firm against the devil, we'll end up even stronger as believers in Christ than we were before the battle started. Isn't that wonderful? And that encourages us. Remember those two things. Remember others going through similar things, even worse. But also remember that God will see you through and make you even stronger. Great promise, isn't it? Which takes us to the final thing to stand firm in in these verses. Which is stand firm in God's grace. I've written and sent, says Peter, this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that you are, what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. 
Stand firm in this grace. Now in the worship contribution uh, that Ensign made, he eloquently just uh, described grace uh, to us uh, in a wonderful way. The grace of God consists of what God has done for us believers in Christ. Everything he's done for us. He's saved us. He's forgiven us. He's made us his children. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. He's freely given it. All because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Amazing grace. In his kindness, he's been kind to us. We're called to share in his eternal glory that we've seen by means of Christ. After suffering a little while, God will restore, support, strengthen you. He will place you on a firm foundation. It's all grace. We don't deserve it. We mess up. We do all kinds of things. We need his forgiveness. That's his grace. And it's a wonderful thing. This is all God's doing. And uh, we can celebrate that. God causes all things to work together for our good. That's grace. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's grace. We are firm to stand firm in his grace. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can truly experience God's grace in all circumstances, whether they be good or bad. So it's instinctive for humans to feel we have to do something to merit God's grace. I've got to be a better Christian and then I'll get more blessing from God, more favour from God. He'll love me more. If I pray more or if I pay a penance because of my sin and feel awful for another couple of weeks, then perhaps I'll deserve God's forgiveness. Actually, his grace is sufficient for you now. You don't have to wait But I don't deserve it. Exactly. That's grace. And it's a wonderful thing. We are completely loved and accepted by God. Not because of our own doing. But because of what Jesus has done for us. Stand firm in this grace. So that's the third thing that uh, Peter says about standing firm in this particular chapter. So God's word teaches us here to stand firm against pride, to clothe ourselves with humility, put on the servant apron, as it were, in the way that we relate to each other. Tie on humility. We can think to ourselves, I'm in this church not to be served, but to serve others. In fact, I'm here on this earth. It's not just within the church for this reason. To serve. It could be in your workplace. It could be in your neighborhood. It could be amongst your extended family. I'm here to serve, not to be served. There's a humility in how we are with others. And then we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. I believe in God's powerful ability To care for you and to care for me. And then it teaches us to stand firm against the devil. Shield of faith. Swallowing up those fiery lies. Sword of the spirit. It is written. Standing firm against the devil. And standing firm in God's grace. So let's just pray together shall we.
Father God, we, we thank you for the profound simplicity of the Christian life. Fixing our eyes on you. Allowing you to enable us to stand firm. Resisting the temptation to pride and embracing the call to humility with one another and before you. Help us, Lord, because we all fall far short of what your word says. By your grace to live more and more with these heart and mental attitudes. Keep changing us, making us more like Christ who said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And Lord, at the same time, we cast our cares on you. Because we believe in your powerful ability to care for us. And Lord, help us to be strong. To stand firm against the wiles of the evil one. Against his lies. To be alert, to stand firm. And to stand firm in your grace. We thank you for these areas that we can stand firm. We can't do it without your help or your strength, but that's your grace as well, for which we thank you so very, very much. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.